As you may know, one of the most important topics that we cover here on the Relationship Alive podcast, because it makes such a difference in the success of a relationship, is how to improve communication. So I just put together a free guide for you with my top three communication secrets to reduce conflict and increase connection and understanding in your relationship. Once you put these three things into action, it will make a huge difference in your relationship, even if your partner isn't doing anything differently. To get it, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate, or simply text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. If you want to take your relationship to the next level, then you have no choice but to connect at a higher level. And I mean a much higher level. So how do you bring your connection to the divine, to something greater than you, into your relationship? And how do you and your partner take that energy and use it to co-create something amazing in the world, something that feeds your passion for each other and for life itself? Well, today we're going to tackle those questions and more with Andrew Harvey. His new book, Evolutionary Love Relationships, Passion, Authenticity, and Activism, is just out, and it is a passionate vision of what's possible in relationship. Andrew Harvey is one of the leading spiritual teachers of our time, and it is such an honor to have him here on the Relationship Alive podcast. As always, we're going to have a detailed show guide, so to get that, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash evolve, and that's E-V-O-L-V-E, or you can simply text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. So when Andrew answered the phone a few moments ago, he was listening to some amazing classical music and we got started with talking about it as a divine transmission. So when you explore your connection to the divine, it really helps you to get in touch with the beauty that's all around you and how blessed we are. So I wonder, Andrew, if we could start there. That's the key to perceive that blessing. That's what my work is increasingly about is asking, inviting, challenging people to receive the great blessing of sacred relationship, of joy, of ecstasy, of responsibility in heartbreak for what we're going through, all of it. But to receive it is a huge blessing because what a dignity it is to live a life that's open enough to embrace those things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you have people who are, of course, willing and and seeking and what about the people who aren't quite as as willing and seeking what do you find like how do you tease those people into into awakening is that possible well i think that there are less and less of them because i think the crisis is becoming more and more intense and more and more people are waking up to the bankruptcy of everything that we're proposing to deal with the crisis that is clearly out of control and those situations are tremendous seedbeds of awakening. There's a huge famine for authentic mystical teaching and awareness. People are fed up with the new age. They're fed up with a vision of 
bliss bunnyhood, but they are hungry for real spirituality because they know that the world hangs by a thread, and the thread is whether or not we can have a worldwide resistance movement of love in action, which has to be based in a spiritual consciousness to be real and to be wise and to be effective. Yeah, and there's, and it's, I think, challenging for people to remember that that is an effective tool for change when faced with violence. Well, it's challenging, but it's entirely possible if you have half a brain, because we've seen such amazing examples in the last 100 years. We've seen Gandhi unseat the most brilliant and ruthless empire, the British Empire, over 30 years of patient, tactical, nonviolent resistance. We've seen Martin Luther King avoid a huge bloodbath here. We've seen the amazing work of Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela and de Klerk in the Reconciliation Commissions, we've seen the Dalai Lama's extraordinary position, both of exposing Chinese criminality and extending unconditional compassion to the Chinese. We've seen many examples in the full glare of the public understanding, examples of movements like Solidarność in Poland, like the great movements that have won for increasing women's rights and gay rights. We've seen what can be done through non-violent protest of hundreds of thousands and millions of people. This is the way forward, and it needs to be grounded in the most sacred imaginable consciousness and be grounded in the great yes to the sacred values of life, not necessarily just a no to the great madness and the illusion. Yeah, I love that distinction that it's it's not just what are you saying no to, but what are you saying yes to and how can you amplify that? Well, that is the absolute key. The no is obvious. We can't go on in this corporate orgy of greed, otherwise we'll destroy ourselves. And we can't go on in this racist, retarded mentality because that will enable the destruction of the most sacred thing that we have, which is the Constitution and the great experiment of democracy. So I think we know where we are, but it's very important that we also know who we are and that we know that we are sacred divine beings capable through grace and through the gift of the divine of amazing strength and amazing perception and peace and passion and energy and joy, even in harrowing, horrific, even potentially terminal situations. That's the important memory that needs to be stirred and awoken in people. And a lot of people are hungry for it and want it directly now, don't want to go through the religions or the patriarchal mystical systems. They know they're being gypped. They know they're being corralled into a game. What they want is the real experience. And I, I meet a lot of them. It's amazing. Yeah. And so that's what, in some respects, brings us here to this conversation together, because that is yeah. at the at the heart of uh, your new book, Evolutionary Love Relationships. Absolutely. Um, this awareness of us as of ourselves as divine beings and then how do we bring that into uh into action through our uh, partnerships and well that's the million dollar question and it's actually a a complex set of interrelated rituals if you like or tunings of the whole being the 
first thing you really need is to tune yourself to what the great mystics of the traditions proclaim is your true identity, your divine identity, your divine consciousness that is embodied in sacred matter, the great marriage of transcendence and eminence. You've got to try and imagine the holy beauty of that as strongly as possible. Then, as you experience more and more of that blessing, you spread that blessing in love to others, to your cats, to your pets, to your children, to people you love, to people you just meet, to people you pray for on TV. You extend that love. You enact that love in the core of your life, living your life as sacred. And then, simultaneously, you also choose to dedicate yourself to serve something that really needs help, that really needs your voice. The voiceless or the depressed or the dispossessed or the poor or the battered and shattered or those who are being humiliated or people who are being discriminated against. You decide which cause you're most heartbroken about and you choose to do something about it with other people humbly, simply, because you cannot stand injustice. And then with those three wonderful tunings of the being, you become real, you become an authentic human being, reacting with your full divine humanity to this world crisis in the terms of your own nature, your own life, your own temperament, your own authenticity and truth. Yeah, how would you draw that distinction between acting from your authenticity because that's one of the core tenets of of the book is that you get in touch with this authentic part of yourself and you honor that both in yourself and in your partner yes so there's this um how how do you discover what is authentic about you versus the parts of you that may seem authentic like okay i authentically want to uh, sleep with other people or I authentically want to um, burn the midnight oil every night because I'm driven for success at my job. Those kinds of things. um, Where, how do you get, how do you get at that nuanced distinction so that you're really unearthing the kind of authenticity that you're talking about? I think that is a fantastic question. And I would say that it took two kinds of adventure that you have to go on. The first is the mystical adventure. You've got to find out who you really are. And that is a long adventure, but as it comes towards its close, you begin to discover you are divine consciousness in action. You are a light drop of the great ocean of divine awareness. So that's the divine side that's essential. Then you have to really plunge into the you, the embodied you, the person, the Andrew who's speaking now, and really bless the whole of Andrew's being and life and body and age and whole way of enacting life. And then you have to pour yourself into sacred action born out of that fundamental sacred connection to your eternal you, to your divine human you, and to all beings in the compassion that's born out of that connection, the tenderness, the passionate generosity of spirit that's born from that connection. 
so that's it. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, and I'm no. I mean, what were you meaning? No, seriously, does that sound very difficult to do? Well, the I think that that the challenge for people it comes down to um, how to manage that quest when they're so caught up in. Oh God, that's personal... a huge challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it can be done because one of the things that you discover on the path, and I've been, you know, a spiritual teacher now for 25 years in the States, in a very difficult time in the States. And from my own practice and from my own experience, I've discovered that very simple practices done in daily life can be hugely powerful when are not abandoned. If, for example, you say the name of God, in the core of your heart through your day while you're walking or while you're waiting for telephone calls or while you're cooking your whole life becomes secretly grounded in the living presence and you can experience this so there's that's one very simple practice there's the practice of simply sitting for 10 minutes in silent meditation in the morning and at night just for 10 minutes of attuning yourself to the silence that can lead to immeasurable secret yields of patience and wisdom during the day and you can experience this so no one should feel disempowered or at a loss or paralyzed. This is the time when these great, simple, holy practices are available to the whole of humanity to inspire them. Right. They're not being withheld in the... No. Yeah. Yeah. And could you elaborate a little bit more on the first thing that you mentioned? The, it the almost sounded the like... the name of God? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I would love to. This is... This is quite honestly the most powerful practice, I think. It has been for me, certainly, and many of the leading universal mystics of humanity have said, Rumi said, Ramakrishna said, Meister Eckhart said, so many have said, and so many have practiced, that the saying of the name of God, by whatever name you worship, the source, the spirit, whether it's Allah or Jesus or Buddha or any name, whatever name it is, but a name that really incarnates and sounds your deepest passion, your deepest devotion. When you say that name in the heart, that establishes a direct connection with the light itself. The Sufi mystics say that when you say the name with great bliss of devotion, a light leaps from your heart and is met immediately by a light leaping from the Godhead and that they meet in your chest. And that over time, you can experience this, and you can because your chest will become a hot place, a place of secret, sublime passion where you're having a direct love affair in the heart with the great heart, with the sacred heart, through saying the name. And many other transformations happen through this enormously powerful practice that you'll discover for yourself. But it can be done in any situation. You can be saying the name when you're shopping. You can be saying the name walking. You can be saying the name in a car jam. You can be saying the name anywhere. It's the most amazing secret door into presence. So do practice it. It also reminds me of the image that you bring up in the book of when you're in partnership with your your beloved, like little yes. B beloved, like how it's it can be this pyramid with your relationship with the divine 
as yeah. an anchor, as an anchor that's that's feeding. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah. I feel that's so important. I feel that each person has their own relationship with the divine, the ultimate beloved, and then a relationship with the divine together, and then with a relationship with the divine in the other. So there's a, there are three different relationships, if you like. One to the transcendent divine that is known in different ways by every soul. No soul knows that divine in the same way. That's an intimacy that we never yield to anybody. And we mustn't because it's from there that the great energies of divine love are erupted in us so that we can love our partner with that love. And that's the practice of the divine in the partner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it it also seems as though that unique connection that we have to the divine, that that is also connected to our unique uh, coming into being. Exactly, Um, it's connected with our deepest, most sacred authenticity, because that's the place we're born from again and again, second by second. And every birth, we can be more conscious of our source and so be born most purely as our true selves. Every yeah. moment. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> I'm just the, breathing that in for a moment. That's living as love that lives always afresh. That's what Rumi's talking about. The love that never stops reinventing itself on a groundless, unshakable base, because like love itself, it's totally quiet and peaceful and it's totally wild and reacting ecstatically and wildly to each moment, calmly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm struck in this moment by um, the book talks about how often couples become neurotic almost in their isolation from the world you know they're yes. the little bubble and there's something I think there's health in the couple bubble and, and having that um, secure connection with each other and oh, at the same much, yes. and and at the same time how do you, the, the question arises how do you prevent yourselves from going a little bit mad with with isolation and one of the the major theories in in your book, and I happen to agree with it. In fact, um, that's partly why you're you're here on the show. But also, thank um, you, thank you. I'd love to know what you feel because you're working it out. And if this is helpful to you, that thrills me. So go for it. I'd love to ab- hear your position. Absolutely. Well, in a course that my partner and I teach together, it's called Thriving Intimacy. And and it's part of what she and I are co-creating. And oh, how so th- amazing. Yes. And one of the core concepts that we've been teaching has been that an essential part of intimacy is how you act in the world, how you create community, how you um, how you offer contribution to the world around you. Absolutely. And, and so that being one of the core concepts of your book is this notion that like the the reason that we come together is to co-create something, something that's greater than what either of us would be capable of on our own. Absolutely, because the 
true falling in love is falling in love with the entire being, including the dreams and visions of the being, to make a better world, to contribute creatively or activistically or in whatever way to a new way of being. That's what it really arouses deep sacred passion, isn't it? That sense of the, the deep beauty of a person, the beauty that is aflame with love and passion for justice that truly wants to enact the laws of compassion, that's what really drives you holy and wild in somebody. And that's yes. the deepest kind of love. Yeah. Yes, and in this moment, I'm also seeing how important the relationship with your, your connection to the divine, the way that that feeds your authenticity, meaning your your unique your unique unis that you've yes. meant to come into the world and and contribute and then when that uh meets up with your partner and creates this synergy of creation that's it, it. now now it's all making sense to me so Yes, um, it's a very yeah. direct connection, you see. It's a direct connection with the electricity of life. In the first relationship, the relationship with the beloved, you take the plug of your life, but by adoration and doing the name of the work of the divine in the heart of your being, if doing that practice, you become one in the core of you with the divine, so you can have the overwhelming love affair that can flood your other love affairs, that can show you that being with someone else is also a divine revelation. The divine is appearing as that being, and is that being is loving you in your divine being. That is the level of relationship we're being called to, and in that level of relationship, spilling over from that beauty and that savoring and that mutual rapture into works that truly express your vision of a new world becomes natural, becomes a natural overflowing of great joy of something amazing that's discovered in love for love. And, and then there's this other element that weaves its way in, which is, for me, the question of, of shadow Oh, and, yes, oh, well, for all of us, yes. Right, right. Not and, just for you, baby. <laughs> all of, we're all in that one. Absolutely. All right, well, what a relief to find out I'm not alone in that. Oh, God, the whole human race is absolutely <laughs> saturated with shadow, and this, and this kind of adventure demands really very, very patient, very compassionate, but very ruthless shadow work, because in order to have a truly sacred relationship with another person you do have to have given up power you have to be in a state of reverence before that being you have to love with vast tenderness and vast compassion and vast spaciousness and freedom and deep respect for the true rhythm of the other's life otherwise you're just on another trip you're in another film of your own wild making you're in another drama of your karma drama. <laughs> so how do you, what do you think is a good way or maybe one of many good ways to draw that distinction in your life to say, okay, like here I am, I'm bumping up against authenticity or I'm bumping up against shadow and this requires some, some work. Um, how would we know which is well, which? Well, I think... 
I think one of the things you can assume is that shadows operating at every moment. After a while, once you've started to look at your deep motives, your fears, your repetitions, you realize you're, there's a lot going on that you're not totally conscious of that's your shadow. So I think the most important thing is to be watching yourself at every moment and for the hints that your shadow will give you of fear or anxiety or deep, crazy manipulation, whatever it is that your shadow shows itself as. Don't be shocked. Don't be judgmental and pretend it didn't happen. Just face it calmly and make it conscious. And if you're very skilled, and you will be if you pray and ask for grace, you'll be able to reach down to the hurt, wounded being who has to act like that to get what he thinks or she thinks she wants and to irradiate that with mercy, with unconditional love. That's when you know the love of God is being trained on you directly. That is an amazing experience of total self-forgiveness because you know you're being forgiven by the beloved. That's huge work. But that's what waits for all those who do shadow work in a mystical way. That's the glory of it. Yeah, could you describe that process a little bit more? Because it reminds me a lot of um, two things that we've talked about on the show. One being developing mindful awareness of when you are, and I've called it getting triggered or getting hijacked. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that you can, when that happens, so that you can focus your energy on coming back from that triggered place. Yes. So that's one thing. And then the other thing it reminds me of, we had um, Dick Schwartz on the show to talk about his work, which is called Internal Family Systems, which is a yeah. lot about dialoguing with the parts within you that that are our, um, that harbor the shadow that that and these these needs that dwell deep within us and that come out at these triggered moments. And yet what you were just suggesting seemed like it merges with the, the very first practice that you were talking about, which is this way of bringing divine energy into those moments of being triggered or confronting shadow. Yes, very much because the truth is that, in order to really get down to the depths of the shadow in you, you have to be very, very strong because what you're going to discover is very crazy-making. Everybody has to discover that they have all the most appalling things that they can possibly imagine in the core of themselves, that you can't get out of this because this is a very important recognition of the real nature of the ego. And it comes at a, at a, as a great blessing, but it's a terrible blessing to face all of this rubbish about yourself. So how do you really become strong enough to endure it? what you have to endure and that's why I stress the divine experience because the more you can connect with your transcendent self your pure radiant awareness self the more you can stand what you have to discover about your embodied self and it gives you security it gives you peace it gives you humor it gives you the strength to face whatever you have to face with grace you just realize oh god I'm obviously as crazy as anybody else I mean, probably crazier and more dangerous. 
And these <laughs> kinds of recognition are tremendously important for humility to keep you really on your knees asking for, for true transforming grace, for, for blessing. You know, this is a very hard transformation. It demands a very great humility and adoration and awe, a tremendous opening at all moments to be guided forward. But you have to know you need it. You have to be able to realize you need it all the time. Right, right. And some people, it, they, they don't get that awareness until they have a, a moment of reckoning in their lives. Yes, and some people just are too mental. They don't, they don't realize that the, the relationship with the divine is, of course, an intellectual relationship in the illumined sense of the illumined intellect, but it's also a huge love affair in the depths of the heart. It's something that you are invited to, to experience with your whole being aflame with love so that you can be taken into the depths of the divine love. And that has always been known to be the supreme experience. Knowledge will take you into the courtyard, but only love of the divine and then of others and of animals and of the creation will take you into the bedroom where the transcendent and the embodied Godhead are making love forever, the real glorious truth of creation as the love explosion of the divine beloved father-mother. That's the vision. Yeah, yeah. It can transform humanity, I believe, because that's the vision that blesses life in its totality and adores the beauty of sacred relationship in their totalities of bliss. Well, one thing that I know is that at least of the people who listen to this show who write to me and, and tell me about what's going on in their lives or who I work with as, as clients in my practice. Yes. Like, these are people who are, are hungry for not just the, the tricks that, that science tells us about why love is the way it is and the, you know, the neurochemicals that are at work. I mean, those things yeah. are, import, are important, too. Yeah, but, so but, you've got to be, know something about the neurochemicals. But if you think that's what's going on in great, wild, revelatory love, you are missing the whole mystical transformative dimension which is so amazing and so potentially transformative exactly exactly it's it's your your body your mind your spirit your heart yes. like all all of those things your and life purpose your whole vision of what your life is for yeah yeah, yeah. I, lo I loved how you spoke in the book too about how we come into existence as the product of all of these generations upon generations upon generations of of interactions that have come before us. Yes, that, absolutely, yes. Now, I personally believe that that doesn't necessarily constrain us, though um, oh, no. many God, people no. experience it that way. <laughs> you know? No, it constrains it until it doesn't, and then it becomes tremendous material for, for great holy play, like a great fugue in Bach, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. Right. So I'm, I'm delighted that we're having this conversation because I think this is where, where science leaves off and where we need to, to take our relationships in order to outgrow the limitations of just thinking about 
the way we interact with another in terms of our biochemistry and and getting the right proportion of positive interactions to negative interactions and those kinds of things that that can be really helpful really helpful um and at the same time um my experience is that co-creating something bigger and bringing that awareness of spirit into how you confront your own shadow or how you help support your partner in their um, wrestling with their own shadow. Absolutely. um, That is actually what makes quite a bit of of the difference um, in terms of getting to a new level of how you interact with each other and what you can experience. Oh, I think it deepens intimacy radically and amazingly, doesn't it? It gives you so much more tenderness and skill and deep understanding of the other. You see them raw and vulnerable and noble in the core of their being, trying to really wrestle with what's blocking them. And you support them in that and you're human with them and that changes you. Yeah, how how do you... Well, actually, I don't want to jump ahead, so I'm going to save this question for later. Um, I, I am appreciating and honoring the way that your book, Evolutionary Love Relationships, is structured, where it kind of saves the sex for last. So I'm going to save the sex for last. Uh, um, I'm wondering, though, if you could talk a little bit about um, the embracing of paradox and why that is so crucial in in love why is paradox so important if you don't experience love as a kind of wild earthquake uh, ravaging forest fire you're not really experiencing love love changes everything so love itself is a paradox it's both enormously creative in the most gorgeous way and it's also enormously destructive of the old it's destructive of the old ways of doing things of the old illusions, the old safeties, and you're exposed by love to the real world, which is a dance of opposites, a wild dance of light and dark, of what we call good, of what we call evil, of terrible, terrible suffering and great, great beauty and peace all coexisting in a huge explosion of opposites, a great, vast, turning, burning paradox that is reality itself. So that is what we're called to relate to with our full beings. And as dancers who are willing to dance with it in naked community with it and loving it in its horror and in its beauty, in its chaos and in its order, in its darkness and in its light, not excluding anything from our adoration of the one reality and so being taken into it by its own grace so as to become a dancer of its paradoxical wild holy dance. Yeah, one of the paradoxes that you mention in the book that, I mean, there there are several that are core paradoxes that seem really important for people to be aware of, but one of the things that is uh, surfacing for me right now is that relationship between um, breakdowns and breakthroughs. Yes. And and how important it is to, you even talk later in the book about celebrating the breakdowns because they herald growth and, and transformation. 
Um, whereas so yeah. many couples, I think, are, are feel like, especially when you're in the middle of a breakdown, um, and of course, this isn't to, to necessarily advocate, like you shouldn't go and cause breakdowns. If oh, God, like. no, not if the breakdown <laughs> is through abusive behavior, never that, but... I think sometimes love will take you to the edge of yourself and where you break down and shatter. And that moment, if the person who loves you can help you, can reach out to you and say, I love you and I'm here for you and I really want you to go through this and I'll protect you, then you can make the most amazing leap of vulnerability, of tenderness, of deep, deep joy. Haven't you experienced that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is, in many ways, the story of my relationship. And oh, um, how wonderful! God. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, in my people listening have heard this on on other episodes that you know there was a time when we completely split up. We we did it in a way that was really trying to be honoring of each other and really kind. Um, yes. But but that was in some respects the ultimate breakdown, um, and okay. yet and yet at the same time because we cared so much for each other and loved each other, um, it's part of what helped us get to the other side of that, which was a reawakening of why we were together in the first place, and and a recognition that we actually weren't done. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're engaged now. We'll be married this summer. So, oh very my exciting. goodness, so much luck! How beautiful! What a beautiful story! It's a very maturing story, isn't it? Yeah, you thank you. You sound as if you've been marinated <laughs> by love. Yes, you have to soak in the vat of love. Love has to work you over and drive you crazy and make you look at yourself deeply and make you beg for love and it's got, it takes you through all kinds of crazy stuff to make you more real, don't you think? I agree, I agree and there's also um, it can be so easy to step away from challenges as a way of say preserving the peace in one's relationship if you don't have a way of seeing that those challenges are the gateway to something more intimate, more connecting. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we even, you know, in my relationship, just speaking personally again, that we experienced recently where um, there was, you know, something that we were each kind of shying away from. And, you know, and we had, it was easy for us to, to just kind of put that on the back burner because we were busy with our, with our work and our mission. And, oh, you know, yeah. we're, we're very mission-driven people. And at the same time, you know, when we came together and realized, wow, we're, we're not really tackling this head-on. And why aren't we? And what's going on? And for us, I think, and, and this was actually mostly on me, um, which is a little humbling to admit right here. Um, but I think I was, I was steering clear of a, of a challenging issue. And, um, but I had a moment when we were talking about it where I believe that I saw what you talk about in the book, that the face of the divine speaking through my partner, speaking mm. to me, um, mm. And and with it came this recognition of like, oh, yeah, if I by stepping back, I'm 
I'm not allowing what needs to unfold to happen. That's so, it. You're, you're getting out of the fire of the transmission, which exactly. is coming through directly being naked to love. Yeah. 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 So, um, so by stepping in, you well know, I, I got, got to be naked and, yeah. uh, and, and feel how, just how, um, how powerful it is. But, but I feel like it's important to say here that, um, that there's intention, like yeah. there, it's important to bring your awareness and these practices that we're talking about into oh, these yes. moments. Yes. Because you're experiencing something immense you're experiencing a marriage of opposites you're experiencing on the one hand your partner in a divine way and you're experiencing the impersonal power of the divine itself coming through everything and you need to be strong you need to be prepared you need to have a prepared um, container for those energies this is not for the faint of heart, this kind of dimension of love. This is for those who have strengthened themselves to be able to receive the full, fierce, golden blast of love. I'm wondering if there are particular practices for a couple to do together oh, that, yes. that you could talk about. Well, I have been evolving all kinds of practices for couples who want to take this path. And there are three that I really love and really suggest to people. The first is the gazing practice that Rumi and Shams did together. They sat in very relaxed cross legs and gazed deeply into each other's eyes, holding each other's hands. And this is an astounding practice because with people you love, with the person you love, you can pour out all of your devotion, all of your concern, all of your knowledge, all of your awe and reverence of that person as a divine human being to that person and receive from them their reverence and their love. And that is a tremendous practice to do before you make love because it lights up the whole of the inner sacred body down to the toes up to the sahasrara it makes you awake to the divine and the human and it's beautiful and then the second practice is to really imagine the divine mother above your head pouring down golden light into your through the sahasrara through the top of your crown and to face each other doing the same total quiet sacred silent celebration of being filled with the golden light of the mother the great transformative light and it pours down into your head and into your throat and into your stomach and into your groin and into the bottom of your feet it goes down the whole of your body and lights up every single cell in you as you face each other in this secret torrent of divine power that's coming directly to you from the mother. That is a very gorgeous and beautiful and holy practice. And then there's a practice that I truly advocate for shadow work between couples because this is an immensely important sacred practice to bring shadow work into mystical reality, into mystical truth, because that's the ultimate place where the shadow can be seen and healed and accepted and deeply compassionate ways. Mm. So 
it's very important. It's a practice called Tonglen, and what you do is really work on each other's shadows by accepting the shadow of the other as a bull, a black smoke, and then dissolving it in the great open space of your own heart and sending back to that person all love and all peace. And that person can work on your shadow so that you can experience this kind of divine tender surgery that two lovers at this level can give each other on their own deep problems. And that's such a sacred, sacred exchange of, of deep compassion energy. It's very holy. Yeah, it can. How specifically would you do that? Would your partner mention, like, this is an aspect of my shadow that I'd like us to focus on yeah, right now? Or? Absolutely. You'd, you'd sit with them. I mean, first of all, you'd do Tonglin on yourself. You'd sit naked. This is how it's best done. You'd sit naked in front of a mirror and really give yourself to looking at yourself in the mirror. So the person looking in the mirror is the timeless person. The person in the mirror is the biographical person. So you're looking with your divine eyes at your human self and you see your loneliness and your exhaustion and your complexes and your craziness and everything. And you imagine all of them as coming out of your stomach in the mirror a black, black ball of smoke and that you take that into your heart that you imagine as this big sunlit sky, this vast, vast sunlit sky and you let that black smoke just dissolve and just dissolve completely away and then breathe back into yourself in the mirror all the joy and all the peace of your essential free nature and then you do that with other people and people who are deeply hurting you or and then you can do that on classes of really destructive people who are now furthering the end of the earth. So it's a very powerful practice. It works on the enlightened secret levels. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that's also connected to a practice that Catherine Woodward Thomas uses um, in helping people who are dealing with vast amounts of pain when they're going through a breakup. And so she writes about that in, in her book, Conscious Uncoupling. How and that's and I think that she's using that. I think that's ironic because she was the one who initially told me she, w she had read Evolutionary Love Relationships. And she was like, I think you'd like this. You better check it out. So that's... How lovely. That, that's brought us full circle. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I love how that works sometimes. Yes, me too. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope I'm giving you what you need. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this, too. I am very much. <laughs> and you're great to dance with. This is fun. Great. Well, that's that's what I aim for, because I, you know, of course, I, I want this. I want these episodes of the Relationship Alive podcast to be helpful for people. And I want them to be fun, you know, even though we're talking about a serious oh, topic. God, yes. Like, oh, you know. yes. Well, it's got to be joy. I mean, that's the key. That's why I've also just written this book on joy, Return to Joy, because I was really feeling, my God, we're forgetting and we're in danger of forgetting that the ultimate reality is always pure, radiant, creative, playful joy. That's what all the mystics tell us. That's the truth. That must be. It's the highest mystical teaching. And anyone who's ever come close to the divine knows that at the core of the divine there is this endless laughter, this 
tremendous sweet joy that is unimaginably beautiful and that is freedom yeah and that's part of that paradox right because yes there's the joy and then there's also the sorrow and the grief and yes but the joy is beyond everything it's the ultimate experience and it doesn't come from anything to do with reason it comes from source itself it's the unity of tremendous anguish and tremendous suffering and tremendous peace and tremendous surrender and tremendous rapture and then a new kind of joy is born at the core of the self that's divine joy got it got it i think don't didn't you mention in the book too that there was you were talking to a friend who said i love all your writings but where's the fun like yes (laughs) i have this great friend nancy kopperman she's a wild woman and wonderful and very wonderful and generous philanthropist and great supporter of the democratic party and a tremendous lover of life and a great wise woman in many ways and she said look you never let your joy come out. And I said, well, I must write a book on joy, I said, because I really love my life. And I think that joy is really the key to why I do what I do. I do it because, not just because I'm absolutely agonized at the danger that we're in and terrified and deeply disturbed. Of course, I'm all of those things. But the real reason that I do it is because I love it and because it gives me joy to dive deeper into love and to serve more and more and to be more and more helpful if I can to others. Yeah. So could you talk for a moment then about, about rituals of celebration and how key those are to, to fostering joy, I think, and, and passion in the work of relationship and relating to another person, especially when you're taking on this mantle of, of being activists together, being, bringing your... Oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think everything in a real sacred relationship should be celebration, truly. I think the way you eat together should always have a celebratory side. You always should make space and silence to appreciate being with each other and appreciate the food and to be grateful and to live your life in its ordinary details together as sacred. That is so important. That is the foundation. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I I love to, I think you mentioned um, finding, finding unpredictable things to celebrate. Like... Well, exactly. And you want to celebrate mostly the other person's truly heroic efforts that really give them encouragement if they're writing something and if they've got turned down momentarily in submitting a manuscript, have take them out to dinner, celebrate the fact that they've finished the manuscript and that they've been a process in which they can actually feel proud of what they've come to in their lives and just celebrate, give them joy, make them feel good about what they're doing, honor the intention behind what they're doing, not just the success of it. Right, and and I love this that you wrote in the book that, um, I'm just going to quote this if this is okay. Please, Um, yeah. You write, um, I'm on it. Thank you. The second celebration that is crucial is to celebrate the wonder of being with another human being who is willing, despite your faults and your craziness and your comic complications, to say to you, Not only do I love you, but I want to go on a journey to divinization with you. 
to become a being who can radiate the fierce and tender love of God in works of justice and compassion for the world. This will always remind you of what an extraordinary grace it is to meet someone with whom you can attempt to live this sacred relationship. Celebrating the fact that he or she has turned up in your life will give you the courage to go through all the stresses of actually sorting out the difficulties of the relationship. Yeah, I love that because it's so true That's that... true, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you need you need things to fortify you, I think, especially yes. because what we're talking about isn't like, you're, you know, you're suddenly blissed out on the divine and everything is easy. Um, no, God, no. All kinds of crazy stuff comes up inside yourself. It's that the other. You have to really look at your own shadow. You have to do shadow work. You have to really, really practice divine love and that's tough it makes you change your life it really eats at your old craziness and habits it's meant to it's an alchemical shift i'm curious from your perspective and you you touch a little bit in the book on a couple powerful endings that happened for you in in relationships in your own life and i'm wondering if you can give our listeners a sense of like, yeah, how would you, from your perspective, how would you know if your, if your mission with this person was coming to an end versus meant to continue through a particular, um, breakdown, let's say, because most people don't, don't contemplate that when they're in the breakthrough. It's only when they're in the breakdown, right? Yes. This is a very subtle question. I think, For me, the difference came in the level of destructiveness. I think in any very intense and volcanic relationship, you expect to go through fires in which things in you will be destroyed that need to be destroyed. But there are relationships that become, for one reason or another, toxic and dangerous to your very survival as you, and that's when you really need to go. And you need to step away from that, however much it costs you or the other person, because nobody should ever be in the position of being threatened by the other at that level of savagery or betrayal or madness. So you have to be discerning. But those are extreme situations, and they do happen on the big sacred relationship path because it's a very alchemical, fiery path at times, and you really need to train yourself in discernment if you can although some of the most transformative loves will come in very in the end quite destructive ways but if you can accept that destruction you can learn from it and be transformed too by it and i i can see too that you know the your odds increase of being able to navigate the fires of the uh of the trans transmutation that's happening when your partner is on board and when you know when you're both like recognizing the divine in each other um however a lot of people who listen to relationship alive tell me that they're listening on their own and and longing for ways to invite their partner on on this greater relationship journey with them. Um, fortunately, that's not everyone. I mean, a lot of people do listen to the show with their partners. But I'm curious for, for you, um, are there things that you could suggest to someone who's listening on their own as a way of inviting their partner onto the journey with them? Well, maybe there are people who are alone because they're 
they've either lost a relationship or are alone. And to them that I would say, use this time of aloneness in two ways. Use the core of that aloneness to get in touch with the alone, beloved, the one that is alone. And so that your aloneness can become holy and very illumined. And then also allow yourself to dream of another level of love that you could experience with a human being that really went beyond anything else you've ever experienced because you have learned many lessons in both how to love and how not to love. And now you're ready to go forward into a new kind of love. So dream our deep levels about that kind of love and send it out into the universe as a prayer if that's what you truly want. So those would be my pieces of advice. Yes, and how about for the person who's in relationship, but their oh, partner yeah. hasn't necessarily bought into, yeah, we're on this sacred journey together. Like how how would that how would you help that person invite their their partner that they have onto the bandwagon? I think that the last thing that they should do is to say anything. They need to do the practices and to really see their partner as already divine. The partner doesn't have to change to be sacred, to be amazing, to be already the ambassador, the beloved. So in that situation, treat that partner of yours with deep sacred tenderness and love and adoration and don't ask for anything. Just give and love and celebrate him or her and just pour yourself out and see the sea change that will happen when you relax completely into them as them. Mm. Yeah, it's like taking the step of honoring their authenticity. Exactly. Don't. Why should they have the journey that you have? Love them as they are already. Isn't that the whole point of the way you say you want to be loved and want to love? Do it now. Love them. I've known many incredible marriages in which the woman has been very much self-consciously spiritual in a great way and the husband seemingly closed, but the two of them have the most ecstatic, extraordinary, tender, intimate relationship in which they both are transformed over time. I think it takes great surrender to the other as the other. Stop trying to change people. It never works. It will never work. The only thing that anybody really changes from is the experience of being tremendously loved as they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this, I think, brings us close to the... Don't you think so? Isn't uh, that your experience? It's fine. Yeah, I think that people want to be... My experience is that, yes, I want to be loved as who I am, for sure. And there's a subtlety there. Um, because I think I think the subtlety is I also appreciate moments when my partner um, calls me out on my shit, you know, and right, and, exactly. and is yeah. But that's love too, isn't it? That you experience as love because the way in which it's done isn't vicious. 
I think that if you have an evolved relationship, an evolutionary love relationship, you don't savagely attack someone for their shadow. You approach their shadow with enormous courtesy and reverence because you really need to be able to speak of the other person's shadow in the context of all of their great qualities, of the qualities that make them so beloved to you so that they can feel that you're tremendously encouraging of whatever struggle they're going through. Right. And so often those shadow aspects are, um, are, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, it's a piece of the thing that attracted to you to that person in the first place. Oh, inevitably, yes. Yeah. Always. It's the other side of the great gift that drew you in the first place. If, if somebody drew you with their passion, you'll probably find that they have a shadow of anger, which will frighten you at moments, and which you'll ask them to really deal with. Right, right. Right. So you I know. wonder... I wonder if we could, because I, I want to honor your time, and at the same time, I, you know, I've really appreciated um, oh, I've being appreciated able to. You so ex- much, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, could we talk for a moment about sex before we go? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, what do you? What did you like about that last chapter? Because it's very precious to me that chapter, especially those quotations from the Radiant Sutras, these amazing Hindu texts that celebrate the holy initiatory beauty of true sexuality, and I hope that they really inspired you. Well, they absolutely inspired me, and part of it is because, in a way, you know, the book was preaching to the choir, as as far as right. I'm concerned, you know, like, I, I'm right there. Um, and at the same time, I, I do feel like it's so port- important to envision a sexuality that is um, is beyond just creating pleasure for each other. Although that's great too. Like I, I think. Oh God, there's pleasure. Pleasure is wonderful, but imagine <laughs> right. pleasure and revelation. Exactly. That's the incredible. Listen, he says this ancient anonymous sage, perhaps it was a she, the light of consciousness illumines the world. The world reflects this splendor. Energy and matter, essence and manifestation reveal each other to each other. Individual soul and cosmic energy, pulsing heart and infinite awareness are secret lovers, always merging in oneness. And when the secret slips out, there is laughter and a flash of brilliance in the air. That's what you can experience through grace and through deep work with another human being together in that revelation through divine sexuality, through true tantric abandon and reverence and worship and adoration. That is the highest human experience in many ways. And is there a practice that you might suggest to our listeners who are thinking, well, that sounds amazing. How do I do that? I want that with my partner. You can't just grasp for it. It takes a lot of unlearning of the shame of the body. So look at all the ways in which you've truly, truly put your body down, your sexuality down. You have to really cleanse your vessel. And then you truly have to 
pray to be able to love the other as a divine human being, to really revere them, to really celebrate them, to really adore them. And you'll find that this will make you much more vulnerable. It will open you to a lot more insecurity at some levels because you'll have to go into a new zone of love to begin such a work. And then when you come to make love to this person, that you've chosen to have this supremely beautiful experience with, then really open yourself to the whole of the Divine Beloved in whatever way is natural to you, like saying the name of the Divine in your heart, and just give yourself over with all of your heart and mind and soul and body to the worship of the other in your sexuality, to the total pouring off out of yourself in generous, tender worship of the other. And that will help you. That will open up doors in secret places. Mm, yeah, I'm I'm tantalized by what that experience could be like. Um, so if if you're playing with this question of inviting and invoking that your sexual and sensual connection with your partner can be a divine experience, and things well, start yeah, happening. Yeah. Let us know, right? <laughs> you know, write in or or uh, let yeah, us know in our in our Facebook group because I want to hear. Things happening. It's very important, and it's it's, but it's very important not to play with these things. That's also worth saying because this is very powerful stuff. This is not um, another game. I think. Tantra is the highest initiation because it's so demanding. It demands really great honesty, great nakedness, great transparency, great courage, and great capacity to suffer, especially in shadow work. So don't play with these things if you're not going to truly not play, if you're not going to truly take seriously what's going to happen to you if you really undertake evolutionary love and that is that you're going to be changed you're going to be transformed you're going to be a different person loving much more passionately and also serving much more passionately you're going to be co-opted into massive heart service of the exploding world if you take this seriously yeah i'm i'm thinking about how chloe my partner and i have had we've had these experiences where we've looked at each other and just been like you know, you're not even the same person that I met four years ago because of those kinds of transformations. And, um, and I, and I like how you offered this, um, this practice of inviting the divine forth through your sexual experience. Oh God, it's so important. The sexual experience is one of the most direct initiations into divine bliss energy perhaps the most direct because it's creation naked it's what co-creation does at ever more subtle levels right and treating it like an invitation I think also allows you to pay more attention and, yes. and, and listen for what happens next yes. you know it's like you open the door and then you wait expectantly to see who yes. or what walks through yes I think mostly it's to allow the level of bliss and not try and repress it. Just allow yourself to feel this overwhelming feeling of ecstatic bliss that can happen to you if you don't clench, if you allow, if you bless your 
deep sacred sexuality, and sexuality is sacred, people repress their bliss and it sours their bloodstreams and their hearts and their wills and it's so essential not to. Mm, mm. Well, I concur completely and I, I so appreciate your taking the time today, Andrew, to chat with us about oh, evolutionary love relationships and your new book. And I'm curious, can you, can you also talk just quickly about your co-author and how you came to write the book together? Oh, yes, with great joy. Chris is a great friend of mine, and it, the book wouldn't exist without Chris because, really, the book is structured around his vision of sacred leadership. And then we added a seventh. It's a six-part vision, and then we added a seventh part, which is really sacred sexuality. But his vision is so universal and exciting that I found I could dance from the depths of mine with it. And that's what the book is. It's a book of two beings who believe in evolutionary love, have very similar visions of where it can go and what it can make effectual, and slightly different kinds of expertise dance together. Chris is very much a very powerful transpersonal psychologist with a real mystical heart, and I'm very much a passionate mystic with a real psychological heart. So we come at it from slightly different angles, but it's exciting. I think people have really become thrilled by this book. It amazes me what kinds of praise we've had from people like E. Bensler and Matt Fox and others. It's been a tremendous thing, actually, to receive such joyful sounds from great friends because it shows the famishness, the, the, the famine, sorry, for, for joy that's really arising and that we need to slake ourselves with joy. We need to really, truly live for love now. Yes, and and I believe along with you that that taking that additional step of how you co-create in the world with your partner is is an important part of of sort of transcending the neurosis that's possible in relationship and 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 growing to that place of of uh, bliss and and, and creativity and uh, yeah. energy. I mean, things that you'll be able to do and accomplish in your lives together and separately, which will amaze you if you get to this level of mutual celebration and exactly. real encouragement and real tender heart work. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as always, we will have a detailed show guide for you listening. Um, and you can find today's show guide at neilsatin.com slash evolve, E-V-O-L-V-E. Or as always, you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And I'll email you a link where you can get the show guide for this episode with Andrew Harvey, as well as all of our other episodes. And uh, Andrew Harvey, thank you so much again for being on the show today. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. And such a pleasure to chat with you. What fun we had. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for this wonderful dance together. It's been my pleasure, for sure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. 
If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive Community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.